Welcome to 27 Speaks, a weekly podcast with the staff of the Express News Group who share their insights into the latest stories making news on the East End of Long Island. This week's episode, Taking It to the Streets, New York enters phase three. We are recording. One, one, <laughs> two, three. What? No, we got to do it all at the same time. One, two, three, clap. One, two, three, clap. Uh, you guys are too slow. I also think that, like, you're on a delay, so this is an instantaneous. That's just really, oh, exactly. boy. Oh, maybe that's the problem. <laughs> we couldn't do it if we were sitting beside each other. We're still not in the same room, are we? How many journalists does it take? <laughs> With us today, we have Bill Sutton. Hi, I'm Bill Sutton. I'm the managing editor and director of digital media of the Express News Group. And we have Catherine Manu. Catherine? Hey, I'm Catherine Manu, sometimes known as Georgie, and I am the co-publisher of the Express News Group. And also with us today is Brendan O'Reilly. Hi, Brendan. I'm Brendan O'Reilly. I'm the features editor. And finally, we have Joe Shaw. Joe Shaw. I am the executive editor of uh, the Express News Group. And my name is Annette Hinkle. I am the arts and living editor of the Express News Group. Uh, so what is it, week 27 of COVID? Do we know? The other day, my daughter told me, Mom, it's day 100. That was a while ago. Now it's like 120 or so. When Cuomo was doing his daily updates, he'd always say, this is day 99, this is day 100. Now we don't have those reminders to depress us was Steve Malone yesterday when we were doing our sessions event, who said that when this all started, he marked one day was the first day of spring when we started to do the lockdown. And then just the other day was the first day of summer as we were pulling out of the governor's daily briefings and going into the different phases and stuff. And, and he said, just amazed him that it's been an entire season that we were in lockdown. And I think what's really interesting to talk about this week is just how places like Texas are going crazy now. Now that we're over the hump, we're seeing places that were not necessarily as good about social distancing or didn't believe that this thing could spread like it did. They are now the ones who are on fire. You know, I had a conversation yesterday uh, with Frank Costanza, who's our former editor who lives in North Carolina, and we've compared notes on this from time to time. I think it's really telling that a state like New York was one of the first that, that had the worst of this and followed the rules fairly closely. And the governor was right on top of it to his credit. And we, I think to a large degree, there was a buy-in to all of the public health recommendations. And so we were able to not only limit the curve, but now we're seeing the payoff that even as we're coming out of this, the numbers are not spiking because people are continuing to be careful and they have been careful all along. We're going ahead with our metrics and our phased reopening. Five regions are set to uh, enter phase uh, four on Friday. Those are the five regions on the map. Uh, On phase four, we have uh, low-risk outdoor arts, uh, low-risk indoor arts entertainment, museums, film and movie production. Meanwhile, in North Carolina, where Frank has told me from down there where he lives now all along, 
that has not been the case that there has been half buy-in not everybody's doing it some people don't do it out of a political statement some people just don't believe it and now they're struggling it's not they're not getting past it i don't think they're quite at the level of some of the states that are that are getting worse and worse but it, it really is that simple if new york is an example that says if you believed the, the public health experts and you followed their recommendations, there was a way out of this. And it's a, just a tragedy to me that these other states, for whatever reasons, didn't learn that lesson. Some of that's politics, like in Texas, where you have the red governor and the blue community leaders. In New York, we had New York City, where the numbers just exploded immediately right away. And I think everybody duly got nervous and got scared. And you just didn't see that. And Texas. And my dad's in, in South Carolina. He's in Myrtle Beach. And he's cautious, but he, he said they were kind of lackadaisical down there. They've all reopened. Everything's reopened. And he says, you see masks in the grocery stores and stuff, but you don't see masks you know, in other places. I think what's interesting and what's happened, I think, in Texas, it's sort of like the mayors are being much more cautious than the state governors. And in some cases, I believe Texas is a good example. You know, usually the cities have the ability to be more strict in the state, but the state of Texas was telling the cities that they could not be more restrictive than the state, which is very weird. Meanwhile, Texas is having to back up now. They are putting measures back into place now uh, after having tried to move forward a little more quickly. And I, I, Florida is another great example. I remember a lot of people pointing to Florida and saying, we're going to see, because they were sort of taking the alternate path, which is, we're going to open a little more aggressively. Let's see what happens. Well, well, I think we're seeing what happens. And, and that also puts the lie to the warm weather theory, which I think, I, I think was important all along. I think there was, a, there was a, a narrative out there that, well, once the weather warms up, I think everything's going to change. Very clearly, the warm weather has some impact in some way, but it's not a solution. It doesn't solve it. And now you're seeing a lot younger people getting it in much larger numbers, which in a way is almost more scary because some of them, a lot of them are probably totally asymptomatic and they are just going to be super spreaders of this thing, I'm guessing. It's how it happens. That's how this thing doesn't go away. And I mean, I think we're all looking to the time of a vaccine. Uh, that's going to be the key now. They're saying that this may, the vaccine may come sooner than any vaccine of this nature before, which would be a terrific thing. We had our virtual session on Thursday that focused on businesses in the community and the reopening in phase three and uh, how the businesses are handling it. And I was surprised talking with some of the business owners, especially of restaurants, who have said that they have run, had run-ins on a fairly regular basis with people who have come in without masks. And in some cases, not a lot. Jesse Matsuoka said that he would say about one in 10 persons who comes into his restaurant at Sen uh, or one of his other restaurants wouldn't have a mask. And then one in 10 of those wouldn't put the mask on when they were instructed to or gave him a hard time about it. So it's not a big number, but it happens on a fairly consistent basis. And he said it happens, you know, almost every day uh, they run into it. Uh, that surprised me a little bit. And and let's not bury the lead that that even by Jesse's terms, 
nine out of 10 people come in with masks on. And I think that's a success that uh, we can, we can focus on, on, on the others, but that's, that's an enormous success by itself that, that it doesn't, it's not an issue for the overwhelming majority of people. Well, and I was, I was caught up when, when they were talking about that, it, you know, they were all saying when, when, when we tell them to put their masks on, they all pull it out of their back pocket. They've got the masks. They're just choosing not to wear them in, in certain spots. So it just, it just confuses me. Just just put your mask on. I mean, I don't get it. We're officially in stage three here, right? Yes. That allows some more indoor dining. What else does that allow? Indoor dining and it's personal services, spas, tattoo parlors are opening, although... Thank God. Although, well, you, you might want to get that tattoo you've been waiting for. Although I think there's restrictions about that. Anything, I mean, you can't get piercings on your face if it would require you to take the mask off that type of thing so you have to wear masks well think about all those people that had a tattoo halfway done and then they got interrupted and they've been going six months with you know i hate to say it but my daughter is very very excited about the tattoo parlor thing and <laughs> she's i've lost her she's gone over the edge so as tattoo parlor spas um you can you can go get a massage you can do that type of stuff as long as there's and and Restaurants are 50%? 50% right? capacity, dining in. Although, again, you know, calling back to the sessions that we had yesterday, I, I think, um, you know, one thing I was intrigued by is I think everybody's really excited about and encouraged by the outdoor dining. And while there will be 50% indoor dining, they're really hoping that this ability to have the outdoor dining is going to take off. We're in a, you know, we're in a resort community. We're in a walkable communities and, you know, eating outside can be great. Um, and I think all the restaurants are just hopeful that, you know, for, for now and, and into the fall and into next year, maybe that, um, that they're going to continue to do that. And they're, they're enjoying that. Let's talk for a minute about the economics of this, because I think this is the silver lining in the virus that people might be missing. If, if a restaurant right now, and, and there's no silver lining to the virus, I should take that back. The, this is not a good thing. I don't mean it that way, but there is a long-term potential benefit to come out of how we're responding to the virus. It may change our thinking a little bit on things like outdoor dining. And so if you're a restaurant and you have a hundred seating for a hundred inside, and you've been shut down during the virus and you found a way to set up 50 seating for 50 outside to get through this crisis. And that gave you 50% of your revenue. Um, but you've had 50 table, 50 seats for 50 people outside. Now, when you reopen, you have 150 tables. That's not how it works though. It's not. So uh, sidewalk dining has been a thing in all the villages, right? Southampton village, when they introduced it, it became immensely popular, but Restaurants are limited in the number of tables they could have and the capacity they can have by the health department. When a restaurant has the ability to have 100 tables, not by the fire code, but by the health department, and they have 100 tables inside and they want 20 tables outside, that doesn't mean that they get to have 120 tables. It means you get to have 80 tables inside, 20 tables outside. It has to add up to 100. Now, if the health department always said you're permitted to have 100 tables and you were always only using 80 inside, then yeah, you could throw 20 tables outside and that's great luck for you. But you're not going to see a restaurant that had a capacity for 100 now go up to a capacity of 150. 
So it's a septic issue. But I'll say this, in our conversation yesterday, this issue came up with Steve Ballone. And he seemed amenable to the idea that as we move forward, it may be time to talk about relaxing some of those rules as well in order to try and help these businesses recover. So although I think your point's a valid one, we, it's, not, it's not a reality as we st- sit here now. If the outdoor dining is a success this summer in an emergency basis, I think it might be a movement towards at least considering allowing restaurants to expand that ability. And if they can get the, the health department to go along with that, there could be a chance to see the restaurants get a little bit bigger and a little more revenue in the future. And, and I'm not sure that's a bad thing. I think that's good for the region in general. I think there's an opportunity that the impact of what we do in an emergency basis during this virus might translate into changes in how we approach businesses in general uh, into the future. So that gives us a good opportunity to talk about what Southampton Village has planned um, beginning this weekend. They plan to shut down uh, Job's Lane and Main Street for, what are the hours? Do you remember, Bill? Yeah, it's 6.30 to 11.30 p.m. just on Saturday for now, although that could change. If it goes well, it could be Fridays and Saturdays moving forward. And essentially, that'll create a a pedestrian mall type of a situation on Job's and Main Street. for that for that evening and i think it's a really intriguing idea and i'm i'm actually kind of surprised southampton village got there first but i think southampton village is set up so that you could shut those two streets down with a minimum of effect on the flow of traffic in the region it doesn't really affect the traffic in the region in any way so there there's a lot of reasons to think that that uh it's a good place to start but i i think it's going to be interesting to see how it goes I think it's interesting, too, because this is something that pre-COVID, we would have casual conversations about in several of our communities about, hey, wouldn't it be kind of interesting to see these open main streets to pedestrians, which you see in resort communities all over the country, where they'll shut down a main street for a Friday or Saturday night and have street fairs. Um, and things of that nature. And so to see Southampton Village now moving forward with that as a result of COVID, I wonder if even post-COVID, they discover that this is kind of a fun thing that brings more people to a downtown and therefore supports local business. I, I think it's worth at least noting that that uh, Jesse Warren, the mayor in Southampton Village, pitched the idea of closing uh, at least one road section, not Main Street or Job's Lane, but another space. He was talking about creating some outdoor space like this well before the virus uh, was even a thing. So, And I'm intrigued. I'll, I'll tell you, one of the conversations that comes up around Southampton Village in particular is that its appeal as a destination uh, for shoppers and diners and is waning. And I think something like this can really just jumpstart and interest in the village in general. If people come out on Saturday night to and they and they spend time and they see the shops and they see the, the restaurants, they're much more likely to come back um, on a time even when the streets aren't shut down. They'll just have more interest in the village again. I, I feel like this is overdue. I've, I think that there's been sort of a, a resting on our laurels kind of situation with a lot of the villages and hamlets uh, where the business districts have some success and they've been satisfied with that success. 
this is is going to mean rethinking some of that uh, in an emergency, but there could be some long-term benefits. So Georgie, I was curious, what's the deal with Sag Harbor? I know that there's some mixed emotions about shutting down Main Street and Sag Harbor, which I don't know, personally feels like a really great place to try shutting down Main Street and letting people walk around just as an experiment. But it seems like a lot of the community has been very lukewarm about the idea of trying something similar there. It's a mixed bag. There's a mix of retailers um, that want different things, um, you know, and so there are retailers that are saying, absolutely not. You can't shut down our main street. We already have a parking problem in Sag Harbor Village. If we lose all of these spaces, um, that's going to make things even worse. Now, remember right now, Long Wharf remains closed. It's in the middle of its redevelopment. That's a significant number of spaces. I think it's up about 80 spaces um, on Long Wharf that, you know, currently are not in the inventory in Sag Harbor. Um, so there are retailers that are saying that their businesses would be negatively impacted if Main Street was shut down. Now, I, I do wonder, though, if um, an evening, like a Friday or Saturday evening, if you're talking about, you know, 6 to 11 o'clock at night, you know, how much that would really hurt the local retailers. I think it would um, certainly help the restaurants if they were able to expand their seating on the sidewalk. You know, it's it's instructive too to compare Southampton and Stag Harbor in the sense that Southampton, the business district of Main Street and Jobs Lane is L-shaped with a giant municipal parking lot in the crook of the elbow that really is sort of underutilized. That's not necessarily true of Sag Harbor. I mean, we've talked many times, it's complicated, the, the parking situation in Sag Harbor, because there's plenty of parking on the outskirts of Sag Harbor. Uh, if you're willing to walk a small distance, it's, it's not that hard to find parking. But a large, I would be curious actually to compare the percentage of the large number of spaces along the main street, which is really just a main street, shopping district makes up a big chunk of the parking. So there is a big impact, a bigger impact there than I think there would be in Southampton Village. So it sort of makes sense for Southampton to be the one to start this and, and see how it goes, you know, because they have the parking to do it. You know, in the beginning of all of this, Sac Harbor was the first municipality to even broach that question. Like, do we consider closing Main Street to vehicle traffic? or even just to, to parking in general to basically expand the amount of sidewalk space a business could have, you know, in order to encourage social distancing and, you know, in a perfect world, outdoor dining. But, you know, it really did pull back on that pretty quickly. And this week we reported that there was a discussion about blocking off parking in front of certain restaurants that just don't have the sidewalk space to do outdoor dining. Mayor Kathleen Mulcahy suggested two places where she felt the businesses would benefit from having a little bit more space to work with, but the board was really concerned about safety, people stepping off the curb and, you know, maybe there being a liability there. So the majority of the board was opposed to that. She also pitched the idea of maybe making, you know, Main Street a one-way road again to encourage social distancing and opening up the roadway a little bit and um, that also didn't gain any traction so it, it doesn't appear like the majority of that board is really supportive of you know any of those measures at this point so do do we think that um, East Hampton Village or any of the other villages will be looking at and even Sag Harbor looking at what just happens in Southampton 
with their closing of the streets is anybody else considering or do you think that they'll use that as a guide will they maybe change their mind or consider it based on how it goes in southampton in the next um few weekends i think they'll they'll, they'll watch but but i also think the hurdles uh, and georgie sort of highlighted some of that in sag harbor the difficulties they've had in trying to get it in deployed there i think those are going to remain and and it, it's going to be difficult i think every one of the villages is going to have its own challenges to do it but yeah i think they'll watch and i think if southampton has a huge turnout on saturday and if they continue to do it for a couple of weekends it might change things bill what do you think well i i think that you know one thing we've seen through through covid is um is, is that spirit of cooperation and that spirit of seeing what what other municipalities are doing, what other, other lawmakers are doing and, and mimicking those things. And it, it seems that that everybody's kind of been working together. So I'm hopeful that if this is successful in Southampton, everybody else will be will be looking at it and kind of emulating those things. And particularly in Montauk, I know that they're gonna they're gonna be trying some things there and, and closing some making some streets one way and that type of thing. So I think you're going to see similar, you know, it's kind of a similar community there in, in a sense. Southampton Village may be unique. It closes at five o'clock, even in the summer, the shops anyway. So so the shops aren't losing anything. Although I think we heard yesterday in the sessions event that some of the shop owners will will be utilizing this opportunity to come out and do some different things if they can if they can staff it or whatever that they're not, you know, accustomed to doing. So it's, you know, it's about changing, it's about pivoting and it's about, you know, making things work. I, I think it's a, um, it's, it's really exciting. I hope everybody's going to be watching and, um, you know, seeing how it goes. So any state. So I'm also curious, you know, with them, they're talking about having this 14 day quarantine for people traveling from out of state. As including of today, the states that are above that, level are Alabama, Alabama Arkansas, Arkansas, Arizona, Arizona Florida, Florida, North Carolina, Carolina South Carolina, Carolina Washington, Washington, Utah, Utah Texas. Texas. This is the most uh, that's as of today. List. The, the states themselves can change as the infection rate changes. Uh, and we will Are we concerned that people who maybe aren't taking the mask thing as seriously or maybe we're spending time out of the state of new york are going to come back and set us back? Is that at all a realistic fear do we think? Yes. I think it is, but I think you snuff that out with your local response. And I think if one person who comes back infected, who is not responsible, can create a little mini flare up. But I think if everybody else is behaving responsibly, you know, we have infected people in the midst of us. We, we just do. And I think responsible behavior is is why that's not creating a bigger problem. And I think there's no reason that wouldn't be true if somebody came in from Florida right now and decided to not be uh, respectful. It's remarkable to me, and I don't want to turn this political or anything, but even the president doesn't seem to get the idea that wearing a mask is not about protecting you. That's not the point of wearing a mask. It doesn't really offer you much protection out there. It's about you possibly being someone who has the virus and doesn't know it and might be spreading it to others. So you're really wearing your mask for the community and for other people. And I think we understand that here. And I think that's a message that was really effectively delivered from the start of this thing in New York and in this region. And I just think it makes a difference. And I think we can make up for the people who aren't responsible. And we've done that so far. 
Speaking of moving forward, Joe, I heard that the Mets and um, the Yankees are going to be playing again. By the way, the spring training for the Yankees and the Mets starts July 1. Uh, I spoke with the Yankees and Mets organization today and confirmed that we are on track and our health commission is going to... I will be happy to see any sports that I can see right now. I'm actually, obviously, I remain a Pittsburgh sports fan because when you grow up in Pittsburgh, you stay that. And uh, I'm excited about hockey maybe coming back in July uh, for a little uh, expanded Stanley Cup tournament where they're talking about 24 teams instead of 16. And uh, I, I would, I, I don't, I think they're going to play those without crowds, which is going to be surreal. I am just like a person who is um, thirsty in a desert. I will take any oasis I can get at this point. I will watch the Mets and the Yankees. I will watch the PGA Tour with with no crowds. I will watch marbles racing. That's the new thing. Have you seen that on uh, on YouTube? Thank you for listening. Join us again next week to hear what's news on the East End. Our interlude flute music is by Allison O'Reilly. Our opening and closing theme music is Boysdale Blues, written and performed by the incomparable Judy Carmichael. Listen to Judy's weekly show, Jazz Inspired, airing on an NPR station near you, or go to jazzinspired.com. 27 Speaks is a weekly podcast produced by the Express News Group, which includes the Southampton Press, the East Hampton Press, the Sag Harbor Express, 27East.com, and sagharborexpress.com. Find us on the websites or subscribe through Apple Podcasts.